0: Turn with me to James chapter number five. James chapter number five. Brother Aaron, could you go? I have misplaced my clicker. So could you see if that's in the sound booth? Or it may be on my uh, desk in my office. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All right, James chapter five. If you weren't here last week, we have a continuation uh, message. And so we'll try to bring you up. The speed. It's probably the the most challenging passage in all the book of James, and and uh, boy, it has been a delight to study. It's been a delight to have some conversations with some of you about this passage and what the Lord is is teaching you and, and educating you about, and so forth. It is a. It, it, we finished up with the last part um, of verses fourteen, and, and so let's look there. In fact, verse. Thirteen actually, it says this: is any among you afflicted? Let him pray, is any merry? let him sing psalms, and then, as we focused in on last week, is any sick among you and so uh, a um, uh Brother Jim, could you go ahead and hit the the space bar uh, for me there? Take me to that next one. Excellent. All right. So since I am handicapped and I am getting old and I forget things and I left my clicker somewhere. Okay. So the first one was this. What? Are you afflicted? We saw the answer. Space bar, Brother Jim. The answer was, uh, are you afflicted? What do you do? Well, you pray. Can you hit the space bar for me? Thank you, sir. Okay. The remedy was to pray. Pray. And we looked at this again. Number two, are you married? The remedy was, you know what? To praise, right? Yeah, sing songs and praise. So, did I? Oh, he stole it from me. It's good to start the service out with confession. Thank you, Brother Aaron. Appreciate that. No, I'm kidding. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. The last one. This is what we saw last week. Okay. Uh, what's the point of this? Well, it goes on there in verse number 14. Let him call for the elders. And we just uh, to keep it uh, the the, the uh, starting with the big first letter and uh, we're to keep this all going together. Partner. You partner with the elders, those spiritually mature, the pastor and so. So we came to understand this and we developed it and we understood with this passage as it describes what is taking place here. There is a lot of disagreeing interpretations and opinions about what this message uh, or what this passage says. Um, some believe it is dealing with anybody that is physically sick for whatever reasons. Last week we looked at what are the origins of sickness in our life, physical sickness. And uh, we looked at several that cause this, you know, you know, corruption, natural corruption, natural sin, so forth. And then obviously consequences of sin, the chastening of the Lord, brings sometimes physical ailments and sickness. And so some believe that it's any kind of sickness. Others look and say, no, 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 that's not what it is. It's dealing just with someone who is physically sick because of the chastening of the Lord. In other words, here is somebody who has gotten off. They have erred from the truth, and God is chastening them. And even as 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, the reality is God uses physical ailments and sickness to chasten. We saw that even this morning, the idea that God chastens the one he loves. And so he uses physical things. So some believe it's just about that. There's a dis- kind of some disagreement about what it means to anoint, and the word kind of meaning to massage even. and so, so we've seen several things of differing opinions and so forth throughout this passage. I've done my best to present it to you from last week and we'll do so this week and yet we'll come to a culminating truth that I think is fantastic. You remember last week what we ended up with is saying, okay, those who believe that this is a, a prayer that anybody can, can can elicit for themselves being sick, it has to still re- meet the parameters or requirements in the passage. In fact, Christ himself said it. He said, when you pray anything in my name, you'll have it. But he said it has to be prayed according to these qualifications, these parameters. We saw in this passage, if you remember, first of all, verse 15, it described it, um, or actually back up, the end of verse 14 uh, anointing him with oil, and here it was, in the name of the Lord. So that terminology, praying for him, and that was a statement before, let them pray over him and anoint him with oil, both of those things are parallelisms to and include in the name of the Lord. So we looked at that reality of in the name of the Lord. What does in the name of the Lord means? Well, it means when you and I pray, we are uh, appealing to his authority. The authority of God. We are establishing that he has power, absolute power, in earth and in heaven. Matthew 28, Christ himself said that to be so. We also said in eight, and inherent uh, to that statement is a submission to the will of God. So we talked about being in that circle, and then we're, as we pray in the name of God, we're saying, as long as it is in your this circle of your perfect will, then let it be so. So that goes along with praying in the name of the Lord. I, I like this statement. I shared this quote with you last week. The, the name of the Lord is the periphery of His will, and uh, that periphery is known uh, unknown to us. So he, when we pray in the name of the Lord, we're saying, okay, God, you know better than I do. You know more than I do. You understand much more than I do. So when I Pray in the name of the Lord. I'm finite. I don't have all the details. You have the details, and you know how best to answer my prayer. And so we're submitting it to His authority in the fact that that He knows better than I. And so, by just saying, "I pray in the name of the Lord," we pray in Christ. It is bringing these things to bear, and therefore, the prayer is merely a channel or a conduit for the power of God through his name, to be brought to work in our life. Now here's the second part. Beginning in verse 15, notice what it says. And the prayer of faith. What's the prayer of faith? Let's define that and explain it a little bit. It's believing prayer. It's a force to be reckoned with like no other in all the universe. The prayer of faith. I'm thankful, note it, we've said this last week, but I'm thankful it isn't the anointing that heals. It isn't the presence of the elders or the spiritually mature that heals the person. It's the prayer in the name of the Lord that is rooted in the heart of faith. That's the prayer. That's what saves. That is what heals. That is the thing that takes care of this sickness and whatever the case may be and what God is providing for us. First John really sums it up well. 1 John chapter 5, verses five, 14 and 15 uh, speak to this truth. I like this. And this is the, you see it, confidence. That's a prayer of faith. I have confidence. This is the confidence that we have in, in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And then if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. How do we simplify that? Well, to simplify it, we put it this way. What is the prayer of faith? It is the belief in faith that God has the power to do it, that He has the authority to heal a person, to deliver them and to raise them up. And if it is in accordance with God's will, it is believing that He is going to do it. That's the prayer of faith. It's taking into account all these things. When we say, in the name of the Lord, in the name of God, in the name of Christ, we're taking into account all of these things. He does have the power to believe it. Hey, Christian, do you believe, or power to do it. Christian, do you believe God has the power to heal anyone? He does. He does. He is omnipotent as much as he is omniscient. He has the power to do it. Do you believe in his absolute authority? I believe in his sovereignty and his absolute authority in all things. Do you believe that uh, as we pray according to His will that He will do it? I do. That's what the Bible says several times over. That's what this passage is encouraging us to do. It is not the idea of the modern-day charlatans known as faith healers that tell you and I, well, if you just have enough faith, God's going to heal you. And so they, they spew their heresy their non-biblical teaching. That's not what it says. That's, that's heresy. It's a lie from the devil, frankly. Healing, now listen to me, healing of a person does not depend upon having more and more faith. It's not what it depends on. It depends on whether it is the will of God, and if you simply have the faith that he can do it. And frankly, if you and I Say, okay, I have the faith that God can do it. I have faith in God, what we just talked about. It's not that I need more faith. It means that I need to exercise my faith. How do I exercise my faith? I pray and ask God for it. I pray and ask him to do it. Frankly, this passage, there is a lot of faith being shown. Hey, if a person calls for the elders and asks them to pray for him and asks them to anoint him, that's showing a pretty good amount of faith, isn't it? Saying, I believe God can do this. Here, here's something that he's laid out in scriptures. That's showing a good deal of faith. We might say it's the evidence of some faith. You see, although not all would agree, the, the commentators, the theologians, as they look at this, they may not at all agree that these limitations that, that apply to prayer are for any sick person in here. They would still, every one of them, agree that prayer is the power. It's the necessary part of this whole thing. All right, so that kind of brings us to a close in our understanding of that passage. So let me share with you. Uh, you say, and we would certainly ask Okay, we understand godly men differ on their interpretation of this passage. So where does it leave us? So in other words, where do we land as a church? Where do I land as a pastor? Where do you land as land as a believer in the sense of, okay, is it referring to just a person who is being chastised by, by God and they're sick because of it? Or is it uh, applied to any sick person? Again, we, we looked at last week the meaning of the word sick and we looked at several different uh, thoughts from the verse and even the Greek. Well, first let me say this, okay? I'll be transparent and honest with you tonight. I am not personally settled all the way in direction direction. direction or the other Um, I do leave out or I do rule out remember what we said that some people think that this just dealt with the transitional time when the healing gift was in the church now I I I do away with that I don't believe that's the case I don't do as that but I'll tell you I'm kind of torn and I I lean uh, per se one way or, or the other but here's the bottom line here's the fact If one of you comes to me with a serious sickness or an ailment, and you ask me to anoint your head, get some of the deacons together, other spiritually minded, those who are spiritual in the church, to get oil, anoint your head with it, pray over you, can I tell you, I'll gladly do it. I'll do it. The worst case scenario, the thing that could come out of that, the most harm that could be done, is your hair will be a little bit more oily for a couple days. That's about it. But you know what will happen? I'll tell you this: whether it's in that setting or any other setting, prayer is powerful. So I'll do it. I mean, well, sign me up. If a church member comes to me and says, "Hey, Pastor Henry, I I have I have had sin in my heart and in my life, and boy, I am suffering physically. I know God is chastening him from it. Him. In other words, you've come to understand, like Jonah, that God's after you." that you've done some things and you've lived some ways and boy, God's coming after you and he's chasing you. And you come to me and say, Pastor Henry, I'm, I'm physically sick and boy, I know this is because of my sin. Would you come and pray for me that I'd be delivered from my sin, that I would have uh, forgiveness and reconciliation with both God and the church and that he would heal me of this sickness? My friend, I'll tell you, myself, the deacons, any other spiritual, we'll come. We'll do it. Why? Because I'll tell you, man, it can only do good. So, see, this is not an issue where we're talking about doctrinal heresy or anything like that. No, you can tell me you lean one way or the other. What you and I ought to take from it is this. Prayer is powerful. And we as a church ought to pray one for another. So wherever we are, that really brings us now to the one thing that they do all agree on, that we've hit on, the thing that I think is encouraging and exciting all at the same time. And it's probably our favorite portion from this passage, isn't it? Verse 16, notice the last part of it, the second part, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Man, what a great verse. We love this. We have prayer meetings, men's prayer breakfast. It's fun to quote. It's a good one to quote. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Think about that for uh, a moment. Because this is the whole thrust of this passage. See, beginning where it talks about verse 14, is any sick among you? And frankly, even going farther up, verse 13, the fact is he's talking about prayer. He's talking about this is really the, the connection with God. And this is how you and I really see him go to work on our behalf. Prayer. And so he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And there's a whole lot of implications of this statement. So let's delve into it. Let's, let's parse it apart. Let's understand what we see here. First of all, the Greek word, there's one Greek word that is translated as effectual fervent. It is, it is the Greek word from which we derive our English word Energy. Energy. So this is speaking of a prayer that has great energy to it. In fact, we would describe it this way. It is an idea of great energy in prayer, a fervency of the heart, uh, prayer informed and equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit himself who helps us know how we are to pray. Can I tell you, as a believer, one of the great parts of the Holy Spirit's job in ministry is that I enjoy is that he helps us to know how we ought to pray. And he ministers to us. He teaches us. He leads us. He brings things to mind as we're praying of how we ought to pray. I like it also. You know what the Holy Spirit does? And boy, I need this often too. You remember in Acts, um, even before that, Christ promised it that as we stand before men, as we share, that the Holy Spirit would give us utterance. Do you catch that? I'm sorry, but I think this is a fantastic point. Okay, Rabbit trail, or in my case, rabbit interstate. Okay, um, The fact is, what what does it say about the Holy Spirit? Part of his ministry to you is that in prayer, he gives you what to say, and in witnessing, he gives you what to say. So we're supposed to be, as conduits, as children of God, so spirit-controlled that whether we're praying or whether we're witnessing, whether we're counseling, whether we're in fellowship and encouraging and edifying one another we're supposed to be Spirit-controlled and Spirit-filled. He gives us the Word. Man, my friend, get a hold of that. (laughs) Uh, Grab hold of that truth that, boy, this is the Holy Spirit. This is His ministry to you and me. It is the energy behind our prayer. It's the idea of the mighty power and energy of the Holy Spirit of God unleashed in our affairs, our circumstances, on our behalf, through submitting to Him in prayer. From our part, for us, it's a prayer that's fervent it's energetic it is passionate it is full of energy empowered by the holy spirit think of it it's not that we're just all super excited no it's energetic why because we understand that prayer is powerful we understand this is going to accomplish great things God can work and answer this prayer. And so boy, when we enter into prayer time, it ought to be that we are energetic and passionate and earnest and fervent. Because man, we have a great responsibility and a great privilege all wrapped up into one. Man, it's a great truth. Notice that there's also the word for prayer is quite interesting in the Greek. Um, it's not the common most used word for, for prayer in the New Testament. In fact, that, this one's only used three times in the entire New Testament. It has an emphasis on this, and I think it's unique about this word. Uh, it, it's very close to um, the idea of a supplication. And the idea is this, two-part. Number one, it denotes, the Greek word does, it denotes the existence of a need. In other words, a specific need. In other words, my heart is so burdened, I am so challenged, and I'm so weighed down with this specific thing. This idea of prayer, uh, the effectual, fervent prayer. In other words, I'm coming to God, and I have this to unload on Him. I suddenly get, uh, uh, Brother Scott and I were talking before the service, and, and he was kind of joking. I think Brother Ron was there, and he was saying, boy, all, all, all day I was, he was praying, please do, don't, don't let the power go off, don't let the power go off, don't let the power go off. As many of us probably were, right? I mean, earnest prayer, Father, please don't let that go. You know, what are we doing? We're bringing a specific request, a, 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 a particular need to him. And so that prayer is identifying it, denoting that, but it also is saying this, it is expressing that need to God. It is not being um, happy and sufficed with, well, God knows the need. No, it's taking him too. Even though God's word says, I know you have need before you tell me. So it's expressing that need to God. It's saying, here's what we have. Uh, here's what our need is. It's, we might put it this way. It's a mentioning of a particular need and desiring particular benefits in response as they are in accordance with God's will. In that specificity, this prayer is not the rote saying of prayer. See, it eliminates that you and I are just going through a list. And again, don't mistake me. I, we have prayer lists for our missionaries and others. It's good to have lists, but it's not getting caught up in just reading down the list. It's earnest, it's, it, it's fervent, it's saying this is a need. Boy, this is the moment that I need to express this need to God. It, it's not vain repetitions. It's not a lethargic duty of a Christian. It's true supplication. It's beseeching and pleading with God about a particular need. We know it. We would describe it this way. It's pouring out our heart to God. It's petitioning. I like this description. It's a petitioning of our monarch. It's coming before our Lord and our King and pleading our case. In the case of someone else sharing our need and asking for a particular means of meeting that need. Expressing our deepest need in the moment in the most powerful means we have at our disposal. That's prayer. But, catch it, we can't ignore the description that we are given for the one who is a channel or conduit of this kind of prayer. Notice it. What does it say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Well, that kind of changes it a little bit or challenges us. What's a righteous man? Well, he's a believer, a child of God, that stands justified in God, not clothed in his own righteousness, but has the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ draped on him as he stands and comes before the very throne of God. It purchases you and I the privilege of coming in in prayer to the throne of God, coming before him. But alas, it is also more than that. He's just not justified as righteous, but he also displays a righteous, holy living in this present life. In other words, we would describe it this way. His daily goal is simple. It's to please God in everything. The Wilds camp used to have a saying: "Just two choices on the shelf—pleasing God or pleasing self." So it is true. And this kind of righteous person, my life is going to be lived with a daily goal. That boy, I I, I, am—I'm simply going to live to please God in everything. He's living for the glory of God. Can I put it this way? When it says a righteous person, it is twofold. He is righteous in position. He's a believer. He's justified before God. But he is also righteous in person. It means his living, his day-to-day living, his reputation, his walk with God. More importantly, he is righteous in that. We all know this to be true, don't we? if we regard iniquity in our hearts, any kind of it in our lives or hearts, the Lord does not hear us. His prayers are limited. Now get a hold of it, Christian. The fact is this. Spiritually weak people have weak prayer lives. Spiritually weak people have weak prayer lives. If you're constantly living with sin in your life, if you're constantly entertaining it, not confessing it, not dealing with it, the fact is, you're going to have a very anemic and powerless prayer life. But boy, if you have a strong spiritual life, oh, not perfect, but a strong spiritual life where daily you seek to please Him in everything, your words and your thoughts and your actions, and you keep a short account, my friend, you have a strong spiritual walk you'll have a strong prayer life you'll pray and you'll see great answers to prayer you'll see things like we see described in this passage we understand we we comprehend That prayer is effective and powerful, even to the point of bringing miraculous healing in accordance to God's will, but it must be the prayer of a righteous person. That's what this passage is saying. Is any sick among you? You better seek the spiritual ones. Seek the ones who are righteous, because you want those kind of people praying for you. Do you see why church discipline is so important? Hey, we come on Wednesday nights, and we share a prayer request, and we write them down on a list. Can I tell you? I want you to be righteous, so when you pray for my needs, God hears them. And you should want the same for me. And that's why God instituted church discipline for, boy, protecting the power of prayer in a church. So that you and I, in all parts of church discipline, we're going and encouraging someone. We're telling, "Hey, man, I've noticed you're struggling here. Can I help you? Can I pray for you? Boy, I'd like to encourage you." Ye, what you're spiritual? If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, go to him, help him out. That is God's design. Why? Because my, we need the power of prayer in our churches. We need the power of prayer in our lives. So God protects it in that way. A righteous person is not a person that does not commit sin. He is a person that just simply has no unconfessed sin on his account. I said it a moment ago, let me remind you, it is a believer that keeps short accounts with God. There's not sin that tarries on your account. Boy, you sin, you confess it, you repent of it, you forsake it, and you're getting taken care of. Why? Because there's verses, many of them like this in the Bible, Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. I sure do want God open to my cries. Another verse, we know well, Proverbs 15, 8, the second part, the prayer of the upright. Isn't this sweet? It's his delight. We talked about it before, forgive me, but you know it well. Many of us, we, 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 we've had a, a, a sweetheart. We've had somebody that, boy, we're, we're in love with, we're going to marry, and, boy, we've had to talk to them on the phone when we couldn't see them in person. And, boy, what a delight it was when you picked up the phone and you heard their voice. Most of us were on landline, those of us who are older. Children will explain what that is later, Okay. But, I mean, you remember playing with the rings and you get that thing? Oh, I remember my wife and she's at college. And, boy, she'd, she'd get in the closet and, you know, shut the door and her roommates would be out there. And I'd be on the other end. And in and Indiana, she's in Carolina. And, boy, we're talking. And, boy, you just love those. I, del- I couldn't wait till that phone call. You remember all day how you looked forward to that? And, and boy, Aren't you thankful that God delights in talking to you? I'm so thankful that when I call in prayer, he doesn't say, oh, great, here comes Stephen Henry again. Oh, great. Here he goes again. No. My God delights in my prayer. You know what that is? That's encouraging, but it's also convicting. How many times have I stole delight from my God when He wanted me to pray? When He saw what was going on in my life, He said, man, Stephen, talk to me. Cry out to me. I'm ready to talk to you, and I will delight in conversing with you through prayer and my word. But you would not. Grateful we serve a God who delights in our praying, talking with Him, fellowshipping and communion. The beginning of verse 16 comes to bear on this. This is interesting. It's tied together. Notice it. Confess your faults one to another, offenses to one another, against one another, pray for one another that ye may be healed. That's very crucial. Because unconfessed offenses and sins against fellow believers render us unrighteous and ineffective, get this, prayer warriors. We're ineffective for ourselves, our families, our church, and the lost in the world. Could I put it this way? I I like to state it this way. Sin takes us off the front lines of spiritual warfare and places us in the medical tent at the back of the army. That's what sin does. We ought to be in the forefront, boy. We ought to be in the midst of the battle, praying and fighting spiritual warfare through much of prayer. But my friend, if you have sin in your life, if you have offense against someone you have not confessed and made right, that sends you back to the medical tent. You're not helping the church, your family, your own circumstances. We can pray, frankly, we can pray for healing. We can pray for God's intervention in certain circumstances. We can pray that we would maintain unity in our church. We can pray for a revival next week or anything else. And all those prayers will be weak and ineffective if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Offenses against others and things we've done against God. Worldly backslidden Christians should not expect a great deal of power in prayer. Bitter, angry, unforgiving Christians should not expect much power in their prayers. But the promise says, if you are a righteous believer, your prayers availeth much. Availeth much. Literally means the word there, strong. It accomplishes what it was intended to accomplish. What you intended to accomplish, it will accomplish that. It is strong, uh, powerful. We know it well. Prayer can move mountains. Prayer can bring nations to their knees. It is the greatest power known in the world today. I sure do wish sometimes that our Congress and our President realized how powerful prayer was. I wish our nation realized and got it back in schools and everywhere else. Prayer is powerful. It can avail much. It's effective when properly engaged. So, one has stated this way, and man, this is good. Prayer is either a force or it's a farce. It will all either be a power in your hands, the greatest power at your hands, to the, to, at your disposal, or it will be a joke you will almost waste your time because you are, uh, it's a farce. It's it's fake. It's not real. It's weak. It's anemic. So it's either a force or a farce. You say, uh, Pastor Henry, what determines if it's a force or a farce? It's what we've studied here. Frankly, it's our energy and fervency in prayer and our own righteousness. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And boy, can it be effective. I've told you before, I've used illustrations. George Mueller, one of my heroes. and There was one day that he was desiring a banana for every single one of his orphans in his orphanages. A banana. So kids, don't take bananas for granted, okay? He was desiring one banana for You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. Go out and buy a bunch. Here's the issue with it. At that time, he had 2,000 orphans in his orphanage houses. So, and obviously, as we know well, the story, many of us lacked the finances to do much of anything for him, had very little money. So, in spite of the lack of money, we know that George Mueller understood the power of prayer. And so, what did he do? Well, he did what he often did did in those circumstances. He prayed. He stopped and prayed. The very day that he prayed, before the, the day was done, before the day was out, a large truck showed up. It backed up to uh, the different orphanage houses and guess what it unloaded? Bananas. And it didn't unload just 2000, it unloaded 4000. The driver obviously is asked why are you bringing these here? How did how did you come to do it here, you know? And, Trucker explained, the driver, that they had gotten too ripened. They were fearful they would likely spoil before they got to their destination. So he just decided, they decided they'd bring him to the orphanage. World might say coincidence. I would say never. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. It avails much. James goes even beyond that. He gives us an even greater example. Turn or Look with me in verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Great way to remember where this is found in the Old Testament. This is verses 17 and 18 of James chapter 5. The story is recorded for us in 1 Kings 17 and 18. The story there is obviously Ahab, the king of Israel, his horrible wife uh, Jezebel was there with him. And they had gotten Israel into a terrible spot, great trouble, led them into idolatry, away from God. And boy, God had promised long ago, Deuteronomy chapter 28, God said, I'll use the land, I'll use the weather, I'll use the crops, I'll use whatever I need to to chasten you. And so he did. In fact, it was in response to Elijah's prayer. Elijah prayed, boy, don't let there be rain. Keep the rain away. And God did that. And so as he prayed, he knew God was going to answer. And so he went to Ahab, and he went to Israel, and he simply said this in chapter 17, verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, isn't that interesting? Listen, we often focus in on the no rain, but he said no dew either. Nothing, no water, nothing at all for the ground and the crops for three and a half years. Famine hit the land. Drought horribly cursed the land. Then soon, as the years passed, then came the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. (laughs) There on that mountain, we don't have time to get into the story, but the futility of idol worship was exposed while the power of God and the power of prayer was on display for all of Israel to see. As Elijah called down fire from the heavens to consume the the water-soaked altar and sacrifice, boy, people understood that God is still God and that prayer is powerful. Just a short time after that, in that same chapter, in, in, verse, in chapter 18, it happened just as James stated in verse 18. Elijah prayed again for the rain to be restored, and the windows of heaven did what? They opened up. They began to pour. I, I love that story, don't you? He sends his servant. Hey, is there any clouds? He sends them again, and all of a sudden a cloud starts, a little cloud. It's kind of like you and I in Michigan right now. Hey, there's a little sun, amen? We like to see that. That's good. See, he knew it. He's praying. God's going to answer this. And he said, Hey, you run and tell Ahab. Tell him it's coming. My, what a great truth. The rain poured, the crops, and the fruit grew. Why? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. Availed much. Hey, hey, pastor, no, 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 no. That's all good. That's a great story. But Elijah, he's like a superhero of the Old Testament. I mean, he is something special. He was a prophet with amazing abilities. Read all those other stories. He had great gifts of God. He was one in a million, specially blessed of God. God's hand was on him. I mean, I'm nothing like him. Isn't that funny that James beat you to that statement? Did you catch what he said at the beginning of verse 17? He said, Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are (laughs) he was just like you and i he was human being like you and i he was made of the same clay as you and i he had the same feeling and affections and emotions a simple study of the life of elijah tells us at times he was afraid at times he was discouraged even to the, the 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 scope of being depressed he was stressed out you ever get stressed out he was overwhelmed at times. He was just like you and I. And yet, my friend, that ought to bring great encouragement. Because though you and I can have those times in our life like that, there's likewise the times that you and I can be found to be a righteous person. And we can pray fervently, effectually, and it can avail much. It can avail much. I I like the description here. (laughs) In fact, let me back up. This is, we would say there's but one thing that hinders us from being like Elijah and enjoying the power of prayer that he experienced then. It's simply, are we earnestly praying from a righteous heart and life? Because that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. Notice what, how James describes him. Did you catch it? Subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. That's quite an insightful, convicting statement. When I was looking at this in the Bible, here's what's interesting about it in the Greek. You go and look at this passage, and what you find to be true is that the same Greek word is repeated. It's the exact same Greek word. Where it says he prayed earnestly, it almost says in the Greek to pray in prayer. You might say pray, pray. But it's a little nuance to that word. As I studied it further, I even looked at some commentaries and so forth. It finally clicked. You know what literally the Bible is saying here? And this is so crucial. Hey, young person, you can get this tonight. Each one of you children can understand this. Literally, the Bible is telling us that Elijah prayed in prayer. All right, some of you are saying, Pastor Henry, you've certainly you've burnt too many brain cells. Now, okay, Hang on a second. Let me understand. Let's understand what it means. Why is the script. Can I tell you, I believe that every word of the Scripture is there for a reason. They didn't make a mistake. They didn't mess up. So it's here for us to understand. So let me, let me ask you this. How often do we not pray in prayer? What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, we might say the right words. We have the religious lingo down, the jargon down. We know what we should say, but the heart, the passion... The effectual fervency is not there. See, John R. Rice she used to tell a story. He wrote a great book on prayer, and he said this story. He said, I, I caught myself at meals. We would sit down as a family, and we would gather around the table, and I would start praying. And we did this often. He said, and then all of a sudden, I noticed my, da- my daughter, as I would start to, the, to close my prayer and come to the end, right before I finished, she would always say this, amen and amen. And he's like, man, it was like, She was finishing my prayer for me. And then it clicked. You know what he's doing? He just got caught up in the routine of praying. His daughter had learned the words that dad said and wasn't much heart behind it. And she had learned what dad was pretty much going to say. And she knew every time when dad was going to land the plane in prayer. And so she'd say amen and amen. And boy, that convicted his heart. Have you ever heard one of your children or another child pray in such a way that they just want to get through it and get eating? You know, just we used to joke down at the, the teens here. We used to joke, Dr. Bill Rice Third. boy, he used to, every once in a while, I'd throw out a very short prayer right before lunch. And I think it was mercy on the teenagers who were hungry. <laughs> But you ever hear a child who just kind of goes through prayer and you know they aren't thinking about here's a great indicator. Did you ever have one of your children ask this, did we pray? And you just prayed 2 or 3 minutes before? Now before we get all over children, can I tell you there's been some adults who do something like that? My son Caden. He doesn't waste any time. He just cuts to the chase when he's praying sometimes. When he's hungry, I can tell when he's really hungry. You know what he does? Dear God, amen. Let's eat. Literally. Dear God, amen. Well, can I tell you, sometimes that's no worse than a prayer that you and I would utter that just has a bunch of jargon in it. Just repeating words that we don't think about. You know, there have been times in my life where I've caught myself, okay, I've got to stop. You know me. I, I talk fast, okay? No comments or laughter. Okay. I talk fast. So I, there's been times in my life to help train myself I just take a few deep breaths before prayer, clear the mind, and make sure I'm thinking about what I'm praying. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like a child of God who's just, okay, we got to pray for this. We need to pray. Then we need to start dishing out. Then we need to... My friend, that's not effectual fervent prayer. That's not what God desires of you and I. So when it says Elijah prayed in prayer, literally, he actually was praying during prayer. I just wonder if accounts could be given and records could be seen. How many prayers come to heaven that weren't really prayers? Not many Christians were actually praying in. So we're going to have to ask ourselves this question tonight. How often do we fail to pray in our prayers? How often we just say the words, and we just I and mean, we're just trying to get to the end, and we're just trying to move through. All of us can do that. As we close tonight, there's some obvious weak links preventing our prayers from being effective. Our prayers for the sick, as this passage talks about. Our prayer for revival, because this is crucial. As we come up under revival, two things must be ready. You and I must be ready, and we need to pray for revival. So we want our prayers to be effective. Effective so there's some weak links. There's some things that, uh, that are hindering us. And so in order to expose the weak links, let's consider these three questions, and we're done. Number one, uh, how about this? Have I neglected the most powerful tool at my disposal and in the world? Prayer. How would you answer that tonight? holy spirit as your witness have you neglected it i mean have you not prayed nearly as much as we said a moment ago that that god delights in it have there been days this past week where god was ready to delight in you talking to him and you didn't he was ready to delight in you bringing a circumstance to him do i pray desiring and believing the prayer of faith do i pray continually as it says elsewhere how about this one? And the good question to ask ourselves, is there some sin in my life? Is there an attitude or a thought that's rendering me unrighteous and that needs to be confessed and forsaken? We at Fostoria Baptist Church need each one of you to be a righteous person to pray for revival for our church. I need you to be free of sin and you need me to be free of sin as we pray one for another. It's being righteous. Then last but not least, could we answer this question tonight as we go to invitation? Are my prayers fervent? Are they energetic uh, with the Spirit's help? Or are they lethargic and weak? Do I pray in prayer? Then are my prayers a force or are they a farce? God forbid that our prayers are a farce. May He make them the most power. what they are, the most powerful force here on earth. May God add His blessing to His Word. Father, we thank You for these truths. We thank You for the privilege of prayer. We thank You for the power of prayer. And my God, as we come to consider these questions now, I, I pray we'd each make this personal. And as we desire great things in our lives for Your glory and our good, as we desire great things in our church for uh, Your glory and our good, uh, Lord, I pray that we would ask these questions of ourselves. I pray the young people would ask, the teenagers and uh, believers of all ages. Uh, Lord, those of us who have been saved for a long time, may we ask ourselves these questions. And then may we allow Your Holy Spirit to direct and guide us to find the true answers. And then as we see ourselves for what we are, as we see our prayer life for what you see it as, Father, I pray that you would help us to make things right. Help us to get our things in order. I pray this week that as we come before you, that we would come as righteous people. Lord, I I pray as we come before you that our prayers would be passionate, energetic, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by him this week. And Father, I pray that we would come before You and truly pray in our prayers. Lord, Lord, may we truly have a heart behind what we say, thought behind what we say. And in turn, may we see the power of prayer play out in our lives, in our church, and among the lost in our community. Father, answer as only You can. Bless this church. Help us to do what we need to do to be a praying church, to be prayer warriors one for another for the kingdom of God. Courage us, challenge us, convict us in this invitation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. Heads bowed and eyes closed, the piano begins to play. Let's do business with him. As we reflect and we consider, we meditate on this message this evening, where, where has God spoken to you and me? What has He said to us about our prayer life? How about you, friend? I know myself, I don't want to be the weak link that prevents revival coming to Fostoria Baptist Church. I don't want to be the one who fails to spend time in prayer as I ought. I don't want to be the one who has lacked power in prayer because I have some sin in my life. And I sure don't want to be the one who just simply prays, but there's no true prayer in it. How about it, friend? Many are doing business with the Lord all over the auditorium. What about you, friend? At the very least, could I implore you to pray for revival, for your heart, mine, for our church, that God would do a great work in the week to come.